After the dickheads last time, we're moving into Poon now, in the second installment of Sex Eds with Cyburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin Third podcast. Welcome to Cyburns and Cigarettes, a Lupin the Third podcast, a podcast about a monkey-faced thief, his friends, and their many adventures. We are covering all of the animated and live-action entries in the Lupin the Third in the Lupin the Third franchise in mostly chronological order. I didn't mess up the opening this time, but I almost did just right then. Yes, but I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. Instead, I'm gonna hand it over to Jay. Jay, what's your name? All right, uh, you're handing this over to me. What is my name? It is the Master Flutist J. I'm Chris, and I can't do a friggin' thing left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Drew, and I'm off limit. <laughs> off limit. Okay, Terminator. <laughs> you will see. You'll see soon enough. All right, so tonight. We are now nine episodes into part one, and I'm uh, taking a, a pretty drastic tonal shift from our last episode. <laughs> tonal Indeed. shift in the episode itself, not tonal shift in the podcast episode, because I got a feeling this is going to be a goofy one. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> On today's show, we will be covering episode nine of part one. A Hitman Sings the Blues. Uh, this episode was directed by Masaki Osumi and is the last episode in this series to be credited as such. It was written by Toru Sawaki. Uh, we talked about him previously as he wrote episode four, uh, One Chance for a Prison Break. Um, uh, he wrote uh, several Star of the Giants films. And uh, the only other Lupin entry he wrote is the next episode of part one, Episode 10, Target the Cash Counterfeiter. The episode was storyboarded by Seiji Okuda, who we talked about in the last episode. He was a prolific anime director and storyboarder. Uh, the key animation in this episode was done by Hiroshi Kanazawa, who did character designs and was the chief animation director on Captain Tsubasa J. Uh, he did key animation for episodes of Ganso Tensai Bakuban, some key animation on the Pandago Panda and Pandago Panda Rainy Day Circus films. He did key animation on Touch, Crossroad, Initial D, the 2003 Astro Boy series, and the Detective Conan film Jolly Roger in the Deep Azure. As far as his work in Lupin the Third goes, he key animated nine episodes of Part One and the fifth. Theatrical Lupin film Dead or Alive, Toshiyuki Honda, he did key animation on seven Doraemon films, and he also did key animation on both the Pandago Panda films and episodes of Ganso Tensai Bakuban. Uh, his only other work in the Lupin the Third franchise is the episode that we are covering today, episode 9. Uh, Norio Yazawa, he did storyboards for Captain Tsubasa, the 1980 Astro Boy series, um, uh, which those episodes that he also directed, uh, Moomin and New Moomin, Little Women, 
Genesis Climber Mospita, Galactic Patrol Lensman, and Super Dimension Cavalry Southern Cross. As far as his work with key animation goes, he did uh, some work on episodes of Star of the Giants, uh, also both the Pandago Panda films, uh, Pollyanna, Folktales of Japan, and he also <laughs> directed, storyboarded, and did the character designs for the Tatsunoko Christian Broadcasting Network co-production, Superbook. So, there is that. His uh, And his other Lupin credits are storyboards for episode 10 of part 1, and he also did key animation for a few of the other episodes of part 1, which we'll be getting to in the not-too-distant future. And lastly, Nobue Toyokawa, who, uh, as far as I could find, his only credit is this single episode of part one. And that's, that's all I could find. So that's, that's interesting. And the synopsis, according to Wikipedia, is Lupin and the gang aim to steal the blueprints for a new computer. In their way is a man skilled with a machine gun and his hitman partner named Poon, who used to be Fujiko's partner in the past. Lupin succeeds at his mission, but not before Poon and Fujiko come face to face. Poon's boss shoots Fujiko before they can have a pro- before they can have a proper reunion. Lupin manages to get Fujiko back to their hideout, but she is near death. Poon and his boss follow Lupin and manage to oust him from the hideout, which leaves the dying Fujiko inside. Lupin tries to get the hideout to save Fujiko's life. I don't. Well, that's not exactly what happens but you know what we'll get to it without further ado let's discuss i just want to mention that the intro is great what the fact went back to the original op yeah, the Yeah, I thought it was kind of weird if they did go back to the original opening. Maybe it's because it's no Sumi episode. Maybe. All I know is that it's great. Indeed, it was cool they brought that one back because um, well, it makes sense that they brought it back considering it is his last episode, right? For now, because I'm pretty sure he also did uh, Who Laughs Last. Oh yeah, episode twelve. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, speaking of which, I'm going to segue into the info here because this is actually part of this. So, yeah, um, uh, of course, as I said, this is this is the last episode that Osumi was credited as director for, and that was because by this point, the, um, uh, the ratings were, uh, well, uh, far lower than, uh, than uh, the producers were expecting, and pretty much what happened was uh, the president of Tokyo Movie... Uh, Yutaka Fujioka pretty much approached Osumi and asked him, you know, what's with the uh, what's with the low audience rating? It's not popular with children. And then Osumi like kind of straightforwardly responded with, and I'm, "I'm paraphrasing. This is all from the Japanese Wikipedia article, so most of it's pretty well sourced." But apparently, Osumi responded by pretty much saying, "You know, I I made this for adults. That's why." Right. But then Fujioka pretty much told him that, "Well, I'm gonna uh, rebuild it." for children pretty much and Osumi kind of unceremoniously got fired and by the time uh, Hayao Miyazaki and Isao Takahata had joined most of the episodes were finished up until episode 12 and episodes 4 through 8 and 12 are uh, only only feature some uh, 
partial corrections and like some like comedic additions by Miyazaki and Takahata and specifically episode seven, the last half of the episode, we kind of talked about it on that one, but the last half wasn't a productions thing. Right. And you can kind of tell that like, you know, the first half is very Osumi. The second half with, you know, Lupin in the armor being chased around by dickhead Lincoln is very a production. Two of the exceptions are episode six, which was uh, rainy afternoons are dangerous. And this episode, episode nine, by that point, they were pretty much all done. Miyazaki and Takahata only made like, you know, a few little changes here and there. I think Miyazaki finished some scenes specifically. It's the bit um, uh, where I think it's at uh, the warehouse scene when, you know, Jigen's on the roof. Lupin comes out, jumps into the bins the two oh, guys chase yeah. and Jigen shoots the guy. That's a Miyazaki animated bit, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it, I mean, it certainly looks like it. Yep. And also the entire bit with um, uh, Lupin and Cap, where Cap kicks the chair back. You know, the, the most impressive shot in all of part one, which we're going to get to. Um, but it, th- there was so much of episode nine done that this is pretty much the last episode that is Osumi through and through. Oh, wow. And you, you can... You can you, from the opening scene alone, you can pretty much tell because, like, the last episode, Miyazaki, you know, made some partial corrections, but, you know, like, it was it was the bit with Mr. Gold. There's kind of the comical shot of, like, all of the gold surrounding him, him counting everything, Lupin giving him, you know, the kind of wacky phone call. This episode has a, like, starkly different tone just from the beginning. It's kind of somber and quiet. You got the airport. Right. Our... Uh, our titular hitman appears. I'm gonna I'm gonna save his name for you know when when that gets revealed. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you have the bit with uh, our hitman and his buddy Cap kind of meeting up at a dock, and it's very kind of quiet, mysterious. All he has is a you know piece of paper with Fujiko on it, and he's out to get her. And there's like I don't know, it has just this aura of like a gritty crime film compared to the last one. Honestly, if it, it feels kind of like monkey punch-esque, I think, because you know, the Maestro was really, especially in the original series, or the original manga series, was really fond of uh, you know, moody, quiet, establishing shots like that. Mm-hmm. Although, it's not, that seems not based on anything in the manga in particular, it's just but it feels like it could be. The stuff that comes from the manga that was later on in the episode, but we'll get to that. But no, uh, from the, the the last episode, there is also kind of a stark contrast with the last one because the last one kind of felt like, you know, it, it's the gangs all here playing card strategy. You know, the gang all work together. Everyone had a part to play. But in this one, from the get-go, they're like already kind of at each other's throats because uh, even before that, you've got kind of a more serious scene with Lupin and Fujiko kind of, you know, taking a nice little pleasant drive and having a conversation about, you know, a job coming up. And there's this really interesting dynamic between the, between the two of them. This episode has really, really good character work in it. I mean, it feels it feels like a legitimate date. It does. At the run. And I really, yeah. really want to know, I want to know one thing in particular from that scene. And I, for some reason, wrote this down very clearly. I said, I kind of want to know what Lupin means by this is how it's supposed to be for both of us. Oh yeah, because that's after the bit of dialogue where uh, she's some. Uh, she said she she almost feels like she she's in love with him, is what, or that she loves him or something like that, you know. And that's when uh, Fujiko like accepts Lupin's hand on her shoulder, right? Which I thought was mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of a cute moment. Oh yeah. Oh, 
Oh, really is, because that's after uh, Lupin says, you know, when we're like this, it feels like we've been together for a long time, and it seems as though your past betrayals never happened. Yep. I love this dynamic between the two of them, because it's almost like they've got, like... Yeah. They've got kind of, like, the hard-edged front up, but, like, how they really feel about each other is kind of, you know, peeking through just a little bit. Yeah, which, you know, we see uh, more of in, you know, Mystery of Mamo, but I, I like how it's being set up here. Oh, yeah. Oh, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, like this you know, this where this kind of thing was, you know, like first established. But uh going back a little bit, anybody else feel like the title of this episode kind of feels like it could be the title of a Cowboy Bebop episode? Yeah. Yeah. Killer sings the blues. And also I feel like I gotta give a shout out to my uh Italian friend Veronica because this is her favorite episode of part one. Nice. This is this one's up there for me. It's up it's up there pretty high. Yeah, it's it's great. I agree. So we got, you know, Flupon Fuchiko being lovebirds. And I love, I love the harsh cut <laughs> to Jigen being like, he's late. You get a shot of a dartboard <laughs> with the heart oh in the God. center and the dart just, <laughs> it's, it's the heart dead center. Tell us how you really feel. Right. He, he's mad, man. But then when he shows up. It's the cutest little like puppy dog reaction, like, oh, he's here. I don't know. I feel like that was more of a, uh, oh my god, I almost just, uh, you know, <laughs> threw a dart directly at Lupin's face. It's still so funny. I thought Lupin just kind of brushes it off. I mean, yeah, he doesn't even dodge; he just reaches out and grabs it. Yep. <laughs> this is also the scene bit. where. Uh, no, no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, this is the uh, same scene where Fujiko refers to Goemon as a square. Yeah. <laughs> for not wanting to uh, go along with it. Right. Like, this I'm, episode feels like the most 70s oh so my God, far, yes. I think. Oh, 100%. Down to the character design. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've looked at some of the well, people I mean, in this show. In this episode uh, oh, in particular. Well, yeah, that's true. Although, uh, there's, there's a scene that, you know, near the very end of the episode that really dates it, but we'll get there. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I love that I love that Lupin comes in and he's like, hey, Jigen, I have good news. And Jigen's like, oh, what is it? And he's like, hey, come in. And I love the bit where Fujiko, there's a pause. Fujiko comes in the door and Jigen just goes, huh? Hey, Jigen, you're going to be What? Hi, he sounds like the guy from uh, the opening of uh, uh, Home Improvement. <laughs> Tim Allen is Jigen. Yes. Oh, no. Exactly. <laughs> I also love how Fujiko kind of rubs it in because she just comes in and gives a really cutesy like, hi. Yep. <laughs> Jigen and Goemon get so upset. Yeah, Jigen. Or Goemon. Ah! Okay. Now, let me get my thoughts in, in line here. This was that note that I took down, and I was like, what the hell is one slice equal four pieces? I wrote down one slice equals four pieces because Goemon got so upset, he sliced the table. But he only did one slice, and but yet it fell into four pieces. I mean, to be fair, though... That is far from the most impressive thing he does with Dantes. Oh, that's very true. <laughs> that's very true. The climax of Tokyo Crisis comes to mind. Yeah. Oh my god. Considering how he does it with, with like what one stroke of his sword. Yeah. Yeah. When he uh, when he um, uh, 
cuts, you know, the one slice and the four pieces. There's that shot where he swings and he's just got this smug smile on his face. It almost reminds me of the pilot film where he cuts the leaf. Oh he's my just God. like, <laughs> he knows that he just cut that in four pieces with one stroke and he is, he is happy about it. He's proud. I want you to know it. Oh yeah. It just goes, just goes back to my head canon that Goemon is a lot younger than he looks. Now, yep. I agree with that. And also going back, I'm still on about this note because I thought I was talking about pizza at first and I got really upset when it wasn't pizza. <laughs> <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, he probably used he probably used Zontetskin for that in part four. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. You know, oh yeah. You know, off screen. Definitely. I mean he may not have eaten any of it, but right. I'm sure Lupin and Susan probably conned him into cutting their pizza for him. Oh yeah. <laughs> Easily. Also, I'm pretty sure they straight up use, um, uh, which makes sense for the time, but there is a shot from uh, his first appearance, the coming of Ishikawa the 13th, where he's in the dojo talking to um, uh, Lupin about how, like, how he's going to you know, kill Lupin. And there's a bit where he's like, you know, closing his blade, and they use that exact same bit of animation after he cuts the table for like a few seconds. Did you notice that? It's the exact same shot either. of him like closing his sword again, but the background's been changed. Huh. Oh, that's neat. So they reused animation. That's okay. Oh, yeah. Gotta do what you gotta do. I mean... Saves money. I was gonna say, and, you know, I went like 16 years without being aware of it, so... Yeah. Yeah. Hey. It is, it's a really quick shot. Like, 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 right. Too many times where I'm like, wait a minute, that, that shot looks really familiar. I watched it again, I'm like, yeah. this is really familiar. And then I went back, I'm like, yeah, hey. <laughs> that's why it's really familiar. Well, that's why uh, cell animation is an art. You can reuse oh, yeah. the, the clear layers on top of backgrounds in other backgrounds. Look at every giant robot anime from the 70s reusing the, yeah. like the, the, the big transformation sequence. Well, it's efficient. Yeah. Well, I was going to point out the... Uh, the second and third seasons of the 1967 Spider-Man cartoon. Yeah. Although there's a way to do it right. <laughs> yes. And then there's how this show did it. Like, <laughs> you know, not to, get, not to get too off topic, but there's one episode featuring the lizard where you can actually see the cell being slid into frame. Oh my God, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was watching the remastered DVD and I still noticed it. It was. <laughs> Which episode? I kind of want to see this. Um. It's one, of the, it's one of the later ones when uh, they just started reusing entire scripts. Oh, wow. As well as animation. You know, just changing a few lines here and there. Oh, my God. This is what happens when a show yeah. goes on too long. Yeah, even though it only went on like three years. Yeah. <laughs> it was long enough. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, God. Right after that bit with Goemon cutting the table, we get to um, uh, God, my favorite. Well, one of my favorite whole bits in the episode but it, 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 I, I cracked up because when it cuts to the uh, the warehouse. Oh yeah, speaking of the warehouse, there's this whole MacGuffin thing involving documents about a computer chip. It's really not important. It's literally like it's MacGuffin 101. Where the whole point of this episode is the relationship between you know Fujiko, the hitman, Lupin. That's the center. The document thing is just kind of like you know, it's what moves the story from A to B, pretty much. Oh yeah, that's. that's- it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, no. It's a dead end. <laughs> it, it it keeps the plot moving, right? <laughs> Into some direction, correct? 
the good thing about it, um, uh, the good thing about this episode, as Joe Bob Briggs would say, the plot does not get in the way of the story. That's true. Right. But um, uh, so Lupin and Futrigor are going to steal documents from this plant, or from this warehouse. And uh, th- th- there's an establishing shot of the warehouse that cracked me up because you know you got the warehouse. It's some uh, dude named Cap. There's all these trucks that say Cap on it, but on the fence in front of the warehouse is just a big sign that says "Off Limit." Off limit. <laughs> Not off limits. Just off limit. Just one. Just one limit. You are just only off one, one limit. I, I would kind of crack up if the shot just pans back and it's just a fence, just like, you know, one piece of fence right in front of that warehouse. <laughs> it just says off limit. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably like the most, well, for the most part, like comedic bit of the episode. Because you've got the dude sitting there reading his uh, his comic, it's uh, the, the the dream magazine, and it yes. kind of looks like a, a like a monkey punch comic, even though it's not. I was gonna say it's too bad he wasn't reading uh, weekly manga action. Right. Oh, that would have been cool. And maybe like when the book, you know, when the magazine falls to the ground, we could see, uh, you know, Ishuku Ipan or something. Right. That would have been cool. <laughs> also. The shot, the shot of Lupin reflected in the goblet. Oh, that's bad. Oh yes, oh, this whole, this whole sequence is directed and just animated so well because you've got Lupin like, well, Lupin big air quotes. I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, it's like the best animation in the whole series. Like, honestly, in like all twenty six episodes, I cannot think of you know any sequence that has better animation than this. Agreed. Totally, because you get the shot of Lupin reflected in the glass. He shoots the glass. Cap peeks over his shoulder. There's a gun on the table. It pans back. And then there's just that shot where Cap kicks off the table, rolls backwards, gets the gun off the table, loads it, and then a bullet just shoots through the vase in front of the gun and knocks the gun out of his hand. And you reveal Lupin still in the doorway. Yeah, there's no cuts. You no, know, for all that, it's all done in one shot. Uh, you know, moving camera and all that. It's really great, especially for 1971. Oh yes, oh, one hundred percent. And I'm, I also love the atmosphere. It's kind of set up when when Lupin's coming up the staircase. You kind of hear this song fading in. And I actually found out what the song is. It's a song from an artist called uh, her name is uh, Nami Shirakawa, and she's singing a song called Lullaby in the Distance. And it adds a whole like. I don't know. It adds more to that kind of crime story film. It's it's very noir. It kind of reminds me a little bit of a the soundtrack of The Godfather. Oh, yeah. Yes. Has that kind of melancholic sound to it. Yeah. And speaking of great animation, you know, we have, uh, of course, you know, it turns out that Lupin is actually Fuchiko in the skies. Yep. And the whole thing is a distraction. So Lupin and Jigen can uh, loot the warehouse where this stuff is actually being kept. Yes. And I and I adore the whole sequence of them making their escape. Oh, it's so great. Because, because unlike that other great you know, shot, you know, where the camera is moving around all over the place. And there's no cuts. The camera is completely stationary here. 
and you know you have like Lupin like driving out, uh, some guys chasing after him. Jigen shoots him down, and then he jumps like off the off the roof and into Lupin's uh, bends, and they drive off. And it's kind of around a little bit actually of uh, the opening of Cagliostro, somewhat. You know what? I see that now that you mention it. Yeah, it does. It, again, this is another moment that that Miyazaki and Takahata worked on, and it's it's really evident. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's got their fingerprints all over it. Oh yeah, uh, I also love the precursor to that moment when uh, Cap in his office because you know Fujiko mentions him. Uh, well, it's revealed that it's Fujiko, and then Cap's phone starts ringing. He picks up and he's like, "Hello, you're here." On the other end. <laughs> 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 It just cuts to the shot of this dude's legs and the phone dangling. It's great. It's so good. <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You know, it's located in Castle Arg. <laughs> <laughs> Castle Arg? Well, maybe, maybe he died when he wrote it. Well, if he was dying, he wouldn't have written it. He would have just said it. But Yeah. <laughs> Also, the bit with the uh, booby-trapped Walter. That is such a monkey punch gag. Again, I don't think it's based on any gag in particular, but it's the kind of thing he would have drawn. Oh, yeah. Oh, 100%. It's, it's uh, just like the uh, in the last episode, the uh, the exploding vase. So last episode, we had the exploding vase. <laughs> yeah. and this episode, we've got the, uh, the pistol with a little mace on a spring. Ha! Yes. <laughs> yes. Which looks exceptionally painful. Um, yes. Well, we know Monkey Punch is a huge fan of Tom and Jerry. Yes. Yep. Correct. And I don't know if you guys have rewatched some of those Hanna-Barbera Tom and Jerry shorts, but that shit looks like it hurts. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Which is why it's so funny. <laughs> I think about right, Tom so and Jerry I- a lot. And I think about all the violence that it instilled in our youth back when those were released <laughs> and I kind of crack up over it because nowadays people it's are right. like, Oh, you can't show that shit on TV. And I'm sorry. Did you look at what your parents grew up on? <laughs> well, to be fair. They still show the shit on TV. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but all right. So I, I suppose now it's time to address the elephant in the poon uh, room. Uh, mm, <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Mm. Oh God, that, that came out sounding a whole lot worse than I intended. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I want to hear I reactions from people who like watched this episode and didn't know what was coming. In the moment when Fujiko turns around, she sees the hitman from the opening show up, and she just has this shocked, bewildered look, and she just goes. <gasps> Poon. 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 I mentioned in my notes here that Fujiko's expression in the photo that Cap hands Poon, I thought was kind of funny. I I thought so, too. It's an interesting picture in general. Like, did she pose for it? Or... And if so, did someone take it really quickly after she picked up her gun? <laughs> so, I've mentioned on the show before that 
I'm not a fan of Fujiko being a damsel in distress that needs to be mm-hmm. rescued. And she is kind of out of commission for the rest of this episode, but to be fair, she's got a damn good excuse. She's been shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also, when whenever Fujiko is writhing in bed calling out for Poon, it's dramatic. Oh my god. When I do it, <laughs> it's pathetic, and I'm told that I need to get a girlfriend. So the the, the liner also, notes. Uh, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I felt okay, fine. Goes to head Jay <laughs> Anyways, on the liner notes. So, so, on the liner notes... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an endless cycle now. Oh no! This for an hour and a half, different tones. Like so, on the liner notes. <laughs> so on the liner notes, <laughs> it's mentioned that um uh, the this is the exact quote from the DVD. Um, uh, the intended origin of Poon's name is a mystery. It's a foreign name written in katakana as Poon P U. U, uh, P-U-U-N could be that it was intended to be um, uh, of a different Asian origin. For is, for instance, uh, Poon is a Chinese surname that can be romanized as it, it, it can either be like, you know, spell, you know, P-A-N, P-U-N or P-O-O-N. It's a pretty like, you know, common last name. So I'm trying to think of a good way to word this. So are they suggesting that the character is Chinese in origin? That is, I mean, that is possible. It, it is possible. Also, my uh, my my bootleg DVD went with the uh, P-U-N spelling. Pun. So, yeah, so, you know, whether it's pun or poon, either way, it's something I'm interested in. Agreed. Exactly. And also, for any listeners, if your last name does, like, happen to be poon, please... No offense taken. I would also crack jokes if it were, if he was a guy like you know named Jeff Cock or Jeff Butts, <laughs> oh which my are God. which are also real American last names. So if that was the case, I'd also be making just as many jokes in the, in, in that context as well. By the way, I had a I'm I'm outing some random person's name now. So, <laughs> anyways. Uh, name dropping this person, I sent a package to somebody here on Deva, Deva, Deva. named Diane Dick. <laughs> Diane Dick. <laughs> that sounds like a threat. I, I know. I know. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like I've heard choking one as a threat, but never Diane. I literally walked over to one of my coworkers and I held up the package label and I went, I tapped the name and he looks at it and he says it out loud and he's like, Ooh, Oh boy. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. <laughs> but, um, uh, so Fuchiko comes face to face with Poon. And has a uh, an atmospheric flashback where um, uh, it's actually uh, again very Osumi, very cool scene of you know Fujiko and Poon on a big you know steep cliffside. Poon's uh, got her at gunpoint. 
his whoever like whoever the menacing figures are behind Poon. Who the menacing figures? Point. <laughs> I don't know why, but that one got me giggling. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be difficult. <laughs> I, mean, a, I mean, in a sense. Aren't all of us being held at gunpoint, my poon? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> mm. 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 So, the, so the menacing figures behind Poon are like saying, you know, like she betrayed the organization, shoot her. And it appears, it appears that Fujiko was shot by Poon and fell over a cliff into the water. And so we come back, and Fujiko's, you know. I, I love the character work in this because, like, you get the history between these two characters and just the look that she gives him when he comes through the door, pretty much. It's great. But then Cat, Poon's buddy, being a complete asshole, just, oh, oh yeah, because Fuchiko throws, you know, good old move, throws a smoke bomb. And Cat just starts firing wildly, and then Poon tackles him and tells him to stop. We know who the level headed one is. Yeah. Yep. And I'm, uh, so, like, you know, the, the dust settles. They're trying to figure out where she went, and then Cap points out that there's a trail of blood left behind. And I, again, I love that we keep coming back to this hideout that we first saw in um, uh, man who, uh, the man they called a magician. It, I'm going to wait, because it's been a while since I've watched him, but is this the last appearance of this hideout in the show? I don't, I don't remember. No. We'll find out. I feel like more of the... Uh... A pro episodes, you know, are set like in Tokyo and yeah, you know, not so much in the woods. Which I noticed a while back that a lot of these Osumi episodes take place like in cabins and out in the woods and you know in the wilderness and all that. Oh yeah, this is after the last episode. This is the second episode in the row where the showdown takes place at a house in a forest, and most of the fo- most of the trees in that forest are for some reason just dead. Rest in peace. Rest in pine. Um, <laughs> but, although I do think it is important to note that a lot of these episodes that tend to take place in dead forests are directly adapted from Monkey Punch stories. Oh. Which, now that oh. I think about it, most of most of those stories tend to take place, you know, outside, you know, in the uh, in rural areas and all that. That's really cool. Which, I, you know. so, so like this whole thing with uh, Fujiko being. You know, out of commission, our villain keeping her, you know, in his cabin hideout, and uh, you know, Lupin trying to get to her. This is all adapted from a from chapter seventy nine of the original manga series. In Japan, the story was titled something like "Able Villain with Hidden Talons Part Two. Oh, hmm. which part one of this part one of this story is completely unrelated. Oh. And it it later becomes the beginning of episode forty six of part two, and the third part of the story is the one with Kiyosuke Mamo. So I'm not quite sure how the three parts of Able Villain with Hidden Talons are related, but huh. Anyway, the English version of Tokyo Pop didn't call it that. They instead uh, called it Love Doctor. <laughs> All right. And uh, instead of being uh, instead of a gunshot wound. Fujiko is afflicted with a inflamed appendix. Ow. Ow. Yeah. Ugh. So I feel like that I feel like the surgery is probably a bit more urgent in that one than it is in the uh, anime episode. Yeah. And also uh 
the bit with Cap shooting at Jigen is a lot funnier in the manga as well. Oh. I think I shared that. I think I shared that sequence with you guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, where, uh, you know, Jigen says that it's it's probably safe to go ahead. He jumps out of a rock. You hear a bunch of gunfire, and Jigen's just standing there, his clothing riddled with bullet holes and smoke coming off of him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like Daffy Duck after running with Elmer Fudd. I had a, I had a, <laughs> a joke for that scene in the anime because, uh, is it a joke? I don't even know. It's a reference. It's a reference to a song. All I could hear in my head when I watched him do his little jig was dance, Jigen, dance, man. He never stood a chance. <laughs> also, uh, before this, I like that Jigen is once again the one with all the exposition. Oh, yeah. I feel like, you know, oh. I feel like, we're, I feel like this is probably one of the last times this happens. Yeah. I think so. Jigen teaches Lupin all about the poon. Yeah. Which you would imagine something Lupin... You know, it's already pretty familiar with. Yeah, I, I, and, and Jigen looked all too happy to tell him about him. <laughs> so something I noticed in the uh, subtitles is after Jigen uh, is winged, he says that he can't do a friggin' thing left-handed. I had that written down, and I was <laughs> laughing over it. That's gotta be that's gotta be a reference to the part two dub, right? It's that gotta be. Friggin'. It has to friggin' completely. Friggin. Yes. So, how about that? A discotex release of part one has a reference to Richard Upcar. Yeah. Neat. I was just going to say we get another flashback of uh, Poon's partnership with Fujiko. Or as I wrote it here, his partnet ship. But it's a it's a really cool sequence, I think. I think I like this flashback better than the earlier one. But they're both great. I'm sorry. I'm reading my notes, and one of them just had me giggling now, and I have no idea what it's in reference to because I can't remember the episode. All of a sudden, <laughs> my brain has left the building. Zero percent chance of brain. Correct. Correct. Um, I like the the, the bit though when 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 Jigen is you know giving the the whole exposition dump to Lupin about you know. There was this rumor of like you know a hitman named Poon and his you know and his 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 ladies his lady partner you know they were the best in the business. I like how there's the little reveal that um, uh, they've only known Fujiko or Lupin's only known Fujiko for three years, and that was when um, uh, this incident happened where you know the the the, the woman as Jigen puts it the woman made a mistake and then like you know Poon, Poon was forced to kill, like kill her but he didn't. And that was three years ago. And then he's like, when was when was it you said you met her? Wasn't that also three years ago? I, I like that little detail mm. of just like how recent their Me whole too. partnership has been in general. I'm sorry. Are they trying to put continuity into this? Yep. <laughs> they attempt to at first. I, <laughs> they, they try. I wonder if that's why in uh, Jigen's gravestone, how... Lupin isn't as susceptible to Fujiko's charms like he would be later on because he hasn't, he's only known her a short time. Honestly, that's, I can see that. So, so would this mean that the, so this mean the woman called Fujiko Mine takes place three years before part one? Let me see. Do, do they specifically mention the, the year in woman called Fujiko Mine? I, f- I feel like I, no, but I, also I don't, I don't remember. I don't, I don't think so. I think it's just like a general like late 60s period piece. Huh. Because you know there's references to uh 
you know, the sexual revolution, the whole mm -hmm. hippie movement. Yeah. Uh, the not quite Cuban Missile Crisis, which go my man shits us all. I think that same I think that same episode has a reference to the Beatles that indicates that they're still around because they broke up in '69. So, alrighty. Of course, I would know that, but but yeah, I'd, you know, like if we say it takes place in I don't know 1968, that would put it three years before Part One in '71. That would work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, yeah. So you know, Lupin runs out, starts chasing Poon. Of and course. As you do, because, you as know, who so can resist the poon? Well, as as uh, part two is going to show, Lupin has a hard time resisting. Correct. Which uh, brings me to uh, one of my favorite notes. Uh, some nice detailed shots of cars in this episode. Oh, yeah. Like That that also goes to the, like, the very beginning, the bit where um, um, Fujiko and Lupin are going on their joyride, and they're in uh, Fujiko's Triumph, and there's that shot near the end of the scene. Where it's just a nice detailed shot of the front of the car, and it does like, again, kind of like the uh, the shot uh, later with with Lupin and Cat, or Fuchiko and Cat actually. But there's a shot that just kind of circles around the car in one whole shot, and then just kind of gets static as the car drives away. It's a really impressive, like it's a really technically impressive shot again for 1971. Oh yeah, and the same goes for the uh, the shots of Lupin chasing after uh, Poon and Cap. There's these like really cool like kind of Dutch angle shots of him and the Mercedes Benz SSK. And there's that awesome shot that's just like right up in the grill of the car. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, the perspective like kind of has him like in like Lupin's like body in the upper corner. Oh yeah, it's such a unique shot. Awesome. It is. It's so cool. It's like it's like whenever I think of the SSK in part one, that's usually the shot I, I flash back to. Yes. Uh, I had this written down. And it literally says, now you see Goemon, now you don't. Because he literally pops in briefly while they're standing around and then walks away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, because uh, um, that's, um, that's when they're at the cabin, right? While they're, yeah, while they're out in the w uh, woods and he walks into the scene. Pretty sure. I might be misremembering here. But oh, that, 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 that's it. Yeah. Are you talking about when he brings the uh, the doctor bag? Yep. And he he, okay. he comes in and then he leaves after he drops it off. <laughs> so now you see going on. Now you don't. Well, that's what happened in the manga as well. It's like he's only oh. in that chapter for like two pages. Brilliant. Actually, you know, and it pretty much goes the same way it does in the anime. It's like, did you find a doctor? No, but I found this bag. And then he leaves. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. It's great. Because I, I love it in the anime where like he just brings the um, uh, the bag is like my job is complete turns around you like yep. hear him uh, like the pan flute dramatically play as he just walks away. Master like, right, well, Now, now in this episode though, Goemon does do one other thing, and it is awesome. It, it, it's 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 that bit where 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 Lupin's got you know Poon Cap cornered in the the cabin. 
Goemon delivers the surgical tools and he, he just goes away to play his pan flute in the sunset. Why? Because it's awesome. That's why. It's a, he looks, it's, di- it's a diegetic soundtrack. Neat. Hey. I know how you feel about the word diegetic, Drew. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> so, in the uh, in the English version of the manga, when Lupin tells you know over the radio that he'll bring the tools to Poon, uh, Poon says, "I I would prefer to keep our relationships to long distance type," which I thought was a, a witty line. <laughs> That's great, and, and also. Poon has an odd way of speaking in the English version of the manga. Oh. Like uh, he gives Lupin the he gives Lupin the nickname Gomez, uh. and uh, at one point he refers to a situation as being ironical. So I feel like ironical. He, um, so I feel like he. Uh, I feel like they're trying to uh, have him come across as someone that thinks he has a large vocabulary, but isn't, <laughs> but is sort of faking it. <laughs> And also, in the anime, he's wearing sunglasses, but I'm not sure if he is in the manga. Huh? Because like his eyes just have like these black shapes, you know, where on his face where his eyes would be. But oh, there's no, there's no there's nothing connecting him on the bridge of his nose. So oh, okay. I don't know if they're supposed to be sunglasses or incredibly thick eyebrows, or if his eyes are just <laughs> in shadow the whole time. Or well, that'd be cool. He's also bald in the uh, manga. Oh, well, he has a full head of hair in the anime. Also, I gotta say, this whole thing with the uh, bamboo arrows is just rad. Oh, yeah. Yes. A little clever. This is the second episode in a row where Lupin turns trees into weapons. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and launches a rocket in somebody's head. Which, that was changed from the <laughs> manga. Instead of launching a rocket Cap's head, Lupin impales him on one of the arrows that he fires. Oof. Yeah, so like instead of you know firing a rocket at Cap's head, Cap is up there trying to pull the bamboo arrow out when one just pierces him right through the uh, abdomen. Oof. Oh, that was a uh, a note that I saw. This one wasn't sourced, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. So take it with a grain of salt. But on the uh, Japanese Wikipedia, it was mentioned that the original script and the uh, what, what was going to happen in this episode when Osumi was in control is that they were going to adapt that moment. Like Lupin was going oh, to dang. shoot the bamboo spear at Cap, but that was a Miyazaki Takahata change after they came on board. Yeah, I can wow. see that. It started kind of softening a little bit, even though even though a rock launched that far with that much force, it's I, I don't know. I think it's it's still pretty brutal, but you know, uh, you know, cartoon physics, he'll be fine. Exactly. I love Cap's comment when when Lupin shoots the one above the window. He's like, "This guy's got some lousy aim." <laughs> <laughs> hey, somebody's purring. It's not me. Oh, hello, Snuggles. <laughs> He's saying hello. See, I told he you. He's a right. vibrating mess. <laughs> hello, vibrating mess. Meet Poon. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Hmm. I need them to think before I speak. That's, that's, that's <laughs> I love the uh, the genuine concern again with the character stuff and Lupin Fujiko's relationship. The genuine concern he has to get Fujiko, Fujiko out of there and give her medical attention. The fact that he like he mentions to Jigen he's cornered them outside there for eight hours. He keeps pleading with Poon to like 
let him operate on her, which uh, interesting little bit of continuity. I mean, Lupin obviously can operate on her. I mean, it was proven in Rainy Afternoons are Dangerous. Lupin is a uh, very skilled <laughs> hand surgeon. <laughs> I mean, isn't it also said in the episode that Lupin doesn't know how to operate? How, how to yes. do the surgery? Yep. Correct. Yeah. He's bluffing. Because I think they said, they said it in the manga as well, that you know, Lupin doesn't actually know, you know how to do it himself. But... And so, you know, he's he's bluffing is what he's doing. I mean, I, I do agree with you, though, that, uh, yeah, the character stuff is really interesting here because going back to the manga story, it doesn't feel earned in the original version. Because mm-hmm. for one thing, the lady that, that we're calling Fujiko, she isn't actually named in the story. So I've just been assuming it's Fujiko. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the fact that she and Lupin have fallen for each other, it's brought up like in this chapter specifically but you know never really addressed ever again huh so i feel like you know with what the show's been doing it uh you know it feels more earned you know it feels more, you know it comes across more naturally i think agreed yes i of course he's always appreciated because he's he's original but like in part one Compared to any of the other Lupin parts, you get a lot of actually like really good dramatic acting from Yasuo Yamada's Lupin. Specifically, the yes. moment uh, he's he's asking Poon like why why like why don't like why won't you let me come in and help and operate? And Jigen just kind of casually is like you know where do you go? He's saying you know, what's happened to you? Why do you care so much about her? You know like just after all these betrayals and then Lupin quickly turns around, and like yells at him and says, shut up. I dare you to say that again. It's like an actually a, a genuinely intense moment. It yeah. is. And then it turns right around and like, you know, Jigen's like, what, what have, you, have you fallen for? And he's like, he stumbles and he's like, no, of course I haven't. You know, who would, who would fall for a woman like her? And then like, he has this very seventies, like flashback to the dialogue uh, at the beginning about like, you know, it's not strange. It's not supposed to feel between us. And you get like these repeating shots of Fujiko turning around. It's great. And it's just a shot of Lupin where he's like, trying to think of a good way to word this. It's not, it's like, it's the most normal expression I think he has in the whole series where he's got like a half smile. Oh yeah. And he's like, look at me acting all smooth. And he like, just kind of chuckles to himself. It's, this is good stuff. It I is. loved that. Yeah, I feel like stuff like that is why this is my friend's favorite episode because you know, it's, there's so much of it and it's all great. And you know, I, f- I feel like maybe you know we do need, need like a bit of a dramatic breather between the sillier stuff, like you know last episode and probably the next one as well. Yep. I'm trying to remember what the next one is. The uh, next one is oh, the uh, the clock uh, tower cash counterfeiter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The practice of Cagliostro. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That one. That one's a bit more lighthearted than this one. So. <laughs> so it's, it's weird to have a breather episode that's dramatic instead of comedic, but it works. It's good. Oh yeah, it's it's, it, it's really good. It's a real nice. Of course, we got episode twelve coming up, but it, it it's it's kind of the last, you know, Masaki Osumihura, pretty much. Where it's like this is kind of this was the last episode he had pretty much full creative control over, and you can right. it, it's really evident because he really really like like. Or his episodes and you know the the screen the screenwriters he worked with really had a like knack for the character dynamic, the kind of dysfunctional family thing, where like you know um, uh, before 
Jigen and Goemon go to help. You know, Jigen's sitting on the couch, just kind of sulking, and Goemon shows up and he's like, Where's Lupin? And he's like, I don't care. He's like, It's fine. But then yeah. when Lupin calls, he quickly <laughs> answers. And he's like, Where are you at? What do you need? Pretty much. Like I said, he's like a little puppy dog when it comes to Lupin. He's obsessed with this guy. <laughs> He's so excited whenever he walks through the door. Like when he's away, he's grumpy. I'm sorry. Can you see how the fandom absolutely grips at this, like almost ho- homosexual relationship? <laughs> yeah, I can like, see where they're coming from. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's really hard not to see the subtext here. And some episodes of part two, it just becomes borderline text. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Thinking specifically about yeah. the, the whole Lupin taking Poloroids in the shower thing that's been going around on Twitter. Yep. Recently. Yep. <laughs> I just saw that pop up on Twitter and I was like, ah, yes, the memories. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can't really recall the memories that hadn't even happened yet. <laughs> as far as show context goes, yes. <laughs> All right, that works. <laughs> Also, really like the um, um, he he is the antagonist and like the villain of this episode. But I also love just the whole thing with the, the dynamic between Poon and Fujiko because like I'm gonna I'm gonna as the kids say, Poon is a uh, Poon is down bad for uh yeah. <laughs> for Fujiko yeah. Hmm. But I love the whole thing about the the, the thing with Poon and Fujiko of like. They were partners. Some, I like how you don't know exactly what happened between the two of them. Or like they keep saying, like you know, Fuchika made a mistake. The organization says she betrayed him, but you don't even really see it because Poon comes and sits down in front of her, and there's a really awesome transition to a flashback where it zooms in on the lens of his sunglass and it glares. It becomes like the glare of like a I forgot if it's a streetlight or like a headlight. But it's like a really cool like transition from his sunglasses to a flashback of them just like on the run, which leads to a, another shot of them. Like it, again, there's, there's a shot of them running, and you get these still frames of like just them. Like, boy, it gets really soap opery of like them on horseback. Um, it's one where like he's got like he's he's polishing a rifle, and she's just kind of lounging around with a with a, a wine glass. You get the sense that like they were kind of inseparable and then just something happened. Yeah. Cause we, don't, yeah. We, we never find out the specifics of why they had to split up. No, that's true. You just get this shot of like a, a, a drive by happening. It looks like she gets clipped and he stops to help her. But I don't think that's like the incident, even though the narration Poon's like ever since that incident, but it's, there's not enough information, but also I kind of like that. There's not like, I don't need everything. I think it's kind of interesting that apparently, you know, two of them got started due to Fujiko getting shot, right? Right. And then, and then she gets shot, you know, all these years later, which ends up leading to, well, I guess I can go ahead and say it, Poon's death. Yeah, I didn't even think about that, but honestly, that's... I, 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 I didn't either until you brought it up. And I, so, yeah, it's a, kind of poetic, I guess. It's 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 unfortunately poetic. Like I, I, I kind of feel bad for like Poon as a character, even though, granted, he is kind of a bit of an asshole because like, 
Fuchiko gets shot, and obviously, like he's 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 taking her because he cares for her, but he's taking her, and they like hide out in the cabin, and then he just kind of gives up and just doesn't care. He's just gonna sit yeah. there and mope around, and like you can tell, Lupin genuinely just wants to get in there and like help her, but Poon's just kind of mm-hmm. like busy reminiscing and just being like, "Oh, woe is me," and he's just. He's, he's, I feel bad for him, but at the same time, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a dick. Uh, Fujiko is a tiger, as we've seen <laughs> with uh, Pike Cow and Lupin. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But I, but as you mentioned, I kind of get the impression that maybe Poon is someone that has a hard time letting go of the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would uh, that would check out. Yeah, it, it was something I I really considered before until you know just now, but that does seem to be how he's being presented. Yeah. Because he had this great thing going on with Fujiko for a while and, you know, he gets her back, but not like this. And then now that he's got her back, he knows it's not going to be like the old days anymore. Yep. But Because for one thing, she's fallen in love with someone else. And I feel like he just like completely shuts down once he has that realization. Yep. Honestly, up until this point, he is the most interesting, like the most interesting villain out of all the whole villain of the week things. Because, like you know, yeah, Pike Al is interesting because he was cool, you know, magician stuff. He's he's he's, he's an asshole, yeah, he, Mister yeah, Gold. Uh, had, right, but the whole thing a bit like you know two dimensional, I guess. But yeah, you know, this conversation is making me realize that Poon is actually a fairly well realized character. There, there's more going yeah. on than than I thought there was. Man, my, my appreciation of this episode, which I already really liked, just shot up a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And again, it, it, it kind of adds to that, like, you could tell Masaki Osumi was really one to, like, have a dramatic show. Obviously, like, with comedic stuff. And even in, like, yeah. in his episodes, before even Miyazaki and Takahata came along, there's great humor in it. But he was really right. going for something, like, dramatic and for an older audience. Yeah. Although, I mean, I, I do feel like he didn't really strike that balance as well as Monkey Punch did in his manga. Oh, no. You know, which, you know, Monkey Punch's manga did have, you know, kind of a darker, edgier tone to it, but it was still a comedy. Mm-hmm. But I feel like with uh, Osumi, he kind of downplayed the humorous aspects a little bit. But not not always a bad thing, though. Oh, no, as no. As we see in this episode. It, it worked out beautifully. Um, uh it gets the, the, the like the, the part that's still like even like even on rewatch that kind of gets me on edge. Obviously, there's like the goofy moment where where Lupin launches the rocket, Cap's head, music kicks in, he gets whacked in the noggin, he's running, avoiding the gunshots, and it does that signature Masaki Osumi thing where the music's playing, Lupin bursts in, Poom bursts through the door above him, and the music just cuts. But this time it wasn't really that funny. It actually like has a punch to it because there is no more music. In the episode until the uh, the nightclub scene, <laughs> you're right. Because the whole standoff between um uh, between Lupin and Boone is just silence, and it is just like in episode eight, the bit with the uh, where they were carrying Jigen through the hospital. There is like genuinely good palpable tension. Oh yeah. Also, I wrote down a note that simply said. This episode feels long. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, no, no. Uh, it's just... Right, exactly. And I just... I, 
I don't remember. At some point, it was like towards the end, I wrote that down. I'm like, it feels like this episode still hasn't ended. And I'm like, <laughs> it, it, it feels like it's been 35 minutes, 40 minutes. I'm like, but no, no, no. They just keep you, keep you hooked, I guess. Which honestly makes a lot of sense because this is the uh, the, the screenwriter of this episode is uh, uh, Toru uh, Sawaki, who uh, wrote um, One Chance for a Prison Break. Which also had some great oh. dramatic moments in it. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly. And another one of my faves. Yeah, mine too. Two of the best also, episodes yeah, that, of the whole series. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah, One Chance for a Prison Break. That's another episode that feels like it's incredibly long, probably because it takes place over the course of a year. And right. That, yeah. that was likely intentional. But, but yeah, it's just it's just a really well, well-written, well-directed, well-paced episode. Right. It is. It, it's, it's paced... I don't know if this is the right word to use for, but it's paced kind of like a little, like like a little movie. Yeah, right. it's it's got a nice structure. You get invested into it. You never like you never kind of wander around from it. It's 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 good stuff. It is. It is. And um, uh, Poon gets a pretty like tragic end too, with you know like him him pulling the gun on Lupin. Fujiko sees him, she begs him not to do it, and then there's. A bit where G, I love how it cuts outside. There's a gunshot, and Jigen's running, and he kind of stops, and then runs even faster to come in. Yeah, and Poon falls to his knees and just kind of it, it takes his death to like realize to accept the fact that Fujiko loves him, and he tells this one more time, "I just wanted to team up with you." He just can't let it go. I, I believe in the manga. As he dies, he says. Oh, I see. You fell in love with him too. Yep. Which you know, both are great lines. Oh yeah. I also like when uh, Jigen comes in, sees what happened. He briefly uh, tips his hat, like out of, I guess out of respect for for the uh, deceased. Which you know, to be fair, Jigen was in the same business, so you know, I'm guessing he respected the guy, you know, for what he did. Oh yeah. It's oh God. This episode has such great character stuff in it. Oh my God! <laughs> and it's just it's just little moments, but that's really all you need. Just a bunch like little moments scattered here and there go a long way. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 really impressive, you know, how these small things add up, you know, to these you know characters, which are becoming more and more fully realized as we go on. Right. I always like before after i first watched it, i always say that like you know i still kind of stand by it mostly that like the, the, the osumi episodes and the episodes where you know miyazaki changed some some of the things but they're mostly osumi are like my favorite and some of the most interesting and i, don't, I never want to like be too hard on the miyazaki Takahata episodes because those are so much fun and we're going to get into them they're like genuinely great wacky comedy but i it's kind of like will mentioned and right. in, uh, in the first in our first episode in, in his segment like what it might have been if Osumi had stayed on board and how this would have progressed and ended. Something interesting to think about. Cause I imagine like maybe the yeah. continuity would have like been a bit more intact. I mean, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, if Osumi did stay on, we probably would have like, I feel like Koei case films are probably the closest to what we would have got. Oh, sheesh. Oh, sweet Christmas. I- I got scared. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, here we are. 
<laughs> and things were getting, I mean, prior for the best, the things were getting kind of real there for a moment. Yeah, they were. Well, yes. <laughs> well, we had cat cameos, and now my dogs have decided to make an appearance. They sure have. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, I feel like uh, Koike's you know, movies are kind of probably more long, or probably long lines would be would have got if Osumia stayed on. Oh, absolutely. The way I've kind of always described it is um, uh, the Koike movies are kind of like the Osumi episodes if uh, broadcast standards didn't exist. Yeah. Ha. So, despite that dramatic climax, I feel like things get a little weird for the for the ending. You're right. Yeah, because like in my notes here, I have two words written: "Let's disco." Which yeah, I had I, mean, I had Saturday Night Fever. There you go. But like, I mean, I I guess I understood the point of that scene at first because you know, kind of relieving all that tension that had been building up throughout the entire episode. You know, with, right. with like a goofy dance thing and you know, we have Lupin and Fujiko enjoying each other's company. Right. I get that. So why does she knock him out, strip him down to his underwear, tie him up, <laughs> and then walk to a dock and stand? I just realized what the the words fat and raw were in reference to now. That's <laughs> <laughs> Uh well, I'm pretty sure it's in reference actually to t-shirts in the background. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's what I was referencing. I think I was watching the scene. I was like, why is there people with shirts with the words fat and raw in the background? Are, 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 is this reference to the name Poon? Fat Poon? <laughs> raw Poon? Oh god! Oh 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 oh, oh no! Mm. Mm. I think I've gotten spam emails with those, with those as subject lines. Oh, oh no! Oh no! I I love that shot of Jigen coming down the staircase because what what did he expect to find? Did he know what? It, did he like have an idea of what had happened? Was he just gonna peek in oh, and yeah. see what they were doing? Because he's got a big smile oh, yeah. on his face. <laughs> he probably saw Fujiko running up the stairs or something like that, you know. <laughs> and he just went he... down to check out Nalupa, knowing full well his ass was laid out. Why? Why does she do it though? Why not? She's Fujiko. I mean, what did she get out of it? Because that's why she would do you it, know, right? Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe she stole the documents we never knew more about. Oh, yeah, that might actually explain it. Like that's that's the only thing I could think of is the thing that they went to steal in the first place that got forgotten for the rest of the episode. Maybe that's what she took. You know, maybe they, uh, you know, like like wrote that like into the script, but had to cut it right you know, for time. Honestly, that, that that could be the case, and it's 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 interesting you mentioned that because the final shot, she's on the same dock where Cap's buildings are. Because if you look behind her in the last shot, there are warehouses one, two, three behind her. Because, you know, oh, they, they yeah. break into Warehouse 4. So I, I don't know what that means. Because obviously at the end, she's kind of like, you know, distraught and kind of still 
like you know, mourning the loss of Poon. <laughs> of Poon. Been there. This is yeah. how we know she's bisexual. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, and her spinoff series just pretty much confirmed it. But, <laughs> I, I, but you know, like I said, yeah, I, I know what that's like. I've mourned the loss of Poon as well, but. <laughs> Evans, we all. We call that a breakup. But anyway. We sure do. <laughs> okay, I better stop for this because it's too real for me. But. <laughs> Same. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I get that. You know, I get that she's feeling, you know, probably a lot of mixed things right now. But it's just not communicated very well to us, I guess. No, it's very, it's very abrupt. It's, it's, I, I love Masaki Osumi and his episodes, but it has that trademark Osumi, like, hey, how'd we get here? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, you know, if we had like an extra, you know, 14 seconds in this episode, this would have made a lot more sense. So, I mean, I mean, I, I feel like the ending's a little weak, but I don't think it brings the whole episode down at all. Oh, no. Because no. it's like, what, the last, like, minute, maybe, maybe like the last 45 seconds? Right. Honestly, they could have done what the manga did and just end it, you know, with uh, Poon being shot down. That probably would have been a better place to end the, end the episode, actually. You know, maybe, you know, and have Gene come in, you know, tip his head, and maybe end it with, like, Lupin carrying Fujiko off. Because for one thing, they don't resolve the whole bullet wound thing either. No, they don't. Maybe That's hey, true. maybe Lupin performed that signature hand surgery they did with <laughs> fair handed surgery. They did with the Phantom Weasel. <laughs> and I'm sure that's not. That's, I'm sure that's not Lupin's preferred way of getting in the Fujiko. But hey, whatever works. <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> but no, it is weird because. There's the shot of, of, of Poon on the floor, and it kind of pans back. It's kind of like a haunting shot. Again, no music, just kind of slowly panning back, and it fades to black. And then this quiet, funky music just kind of kicks in, and then there's just a shot of these strobe lights, and the soundtrack suddenly jacks up the music very abruptly. It's almost like a, like a weird jump scare where you're like, man, this is real sad. Man, this is getting kind of funky. Hey, whoa, whoa. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. It's like... Uh, alas, poor Vin Disco! Hey! <laughs> Which, I mean, like, you know, honestly, like, you know, like, uh, the scenes inside the club, you know, are, are really well done, I think. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like, there's nothing technically wrong with the ending. It's just, I guess from a storytelling well, perspective, it's kind of confused. I agree, I agree. It's, it's, it's... You know, it's... There's, there, there's a lot of context missing, I, I guess. Like, like how long did Lupin and Fujiko wait from her being shot to go partying? Oh, because oh. she would need to recover for a hot minute too. She yeah, or maybe, maybe maybe that's what happened. It's very quickly after she got her wound, they started dancing. They went downstairs and started pulling her. She's like, "Ow, wait, I'm in pain." She just whacks Lupin on the head, goes down the dock, and starts crying. Not because she's mourning Pooh, but because she's seen a shit ton of pain. Sort of like that bit from uh, Castle Cagliostro when Clarice hugs Lupin's broken ribs. Yes. <laughs> That final shot, she's not thinking like, ah, ah, Poon. She's more just like, ah, my spleen. (laughs) (sighs) Also, backtracking once more to that fat and raw thing, it's the writing on the wall as Jigen's walking down the steps. Ah. 
And now, mind you, one of the words is actually like kind of hard to read. It's the word fat. It's not actually that word. Um, I don't know what it is, but the other one is definitely raw. Just yes. saying. Well, it was the seventies in Japan. Yep. So it was indeed. I'm not sure if that explains anything, but there you go. <laughs> it's all we needed to know. You're welcome. So I'm assuming we all love this episode, right? Oh hell yeah! Oh yes, yeah, it's one hundred percent. So good. I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack for a sec here, all the way to the beginning. No, not the beginning. Midway through, I'm still on about this damn number. What do you guys think it means? In parentheses, <laughs> in parentheses, three seven three. Out of parentheses, zero one six zero. What the hell does it mean? Well, it's not the elections play on the triumph, is it? Uh, I don't think parentheses can be on license plates. That's true. I didn't think about what that. A, what about the phone number that uh, Cap used? Is that his number that he used? Let's find out. Let's go back a bit here. Sorry, I'm actually watching the video without actually uh, hearing it. So the number is on the telephone. Ah. However, it doesn't explain why or what kind of number it is. Like, how did J- Japanese phone numbers work back in the 70s? Oh, that'd be some interesting look up. Yeah, well, I'm about to I, do I'm, that right now. I'm sorry, Jay. I don't have all the answers. <laughs> so, back in the 70s, they would put the phone number in the middle of the rotary. For So, the, the, the phone that they're using, that's the number for that phone. That makes oh, sense. that's cool. And that's basically all that it was. I wonder if people in Japan tried calling that number back then. Oh, that's interesting. Like, you know, you know how you see uh, phone numbers in movies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, there was once I forget what number it was, but there was once that was uh, uh, got leaked onto the Internet or not onto the Internet got leaked in a movie and people spread it around on the internet and they kept calling this one person and it had nothing to do with this damn movie. <laughs> oh no. And it was all because the the studio made a mess up and th- the number was an active number. <laughs> well, uh, there was a, there's a Homestar Runner cartoon that's a, uh, a parody commercial. And yeah. They give an, and they give a number for you to call to order the uh, CD that they're advertising. Yeah. And the guys that made the cartoon didn't realize that if you dialed that number, you would get a, a, a taxi service in New York. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so they had to change it. <laughs> That's so funny. That's probably why oh. a later cartoon gives a phone number as 555555585. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the 70s, they kind of implemented that 555 thing, right. apparently, too. So that's interesting. Also, something I uh, I remember was that 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 phone number. Oh God, from that one song, Jenny, eight six yes. eight six seven five three zero nine. Yep, Yay. that was a real number. It was a real number, and it was a real number for a very long time. And I forget. I saw an article on the internet was saying that the person who who had that number would get calls every almost. Almost daily asking for Jenny. Oh God! Yeah, I was I was watching a uh, 
uh, one of those nostalgia shows on uh, VH1 several years back, and I don't remember which D-list celebrity was saying it, but they were talking about that song, and he says that as soon as that song came out, every two-bit blockhead started calling the number and asking for Jenny, including my, yep, including myself. Yep. And I don't know why. <laughs> was, I don't know why, but that phrase "two-bit blockhead" really stuck with me. <laughs> I mean, it's it's part of my Twitter bio. I love it. That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, that is great. Matter of fact, it used to be part of it used to be underneath my name on uh, forums as well. It'd be like Doctor Furball, Two Bit Blockhead. <laughs> Except on on That's one funny. forum, I changed my avatar to an image of Mario from Super Mario World, and so I changed it uh, to Sixteen Bit Blockhead. But anyway, ah, uh, nice. <laughs> Where were we? At? So yeah, oh, yeah we yeah. learned about we- phones today. Learned about phones and shit. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been very educational. We learned about we learned about uh, let's see, we learned about rotary phones. We learned about poon. We learned about uh, disco. The important things. Right. Absolutely. Just the essentials. <laughs> the more you know. The, less, the more you know. The, the less you want to. Can. okay so so once again we all really dig this one right oh yes i i I love how it is it is the polar opposite of the last episode we discussed but that's 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 my favorite thing about it um and honestly there was a uh there's a book that's called um Oh my God! I'm blanking on the name of it. I'm literally going to do editor's note. Oh my God! Right here, that's, 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 that's Oh my God! I'm blanking on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's it called? Wait, I got it right here. Hold up. Okay, so it's called Starting Point. Hayao Miyazaki. There's two separate books of like essays written by Miyazaki, and at one point it's mentioned that like the uh, the appeal of the first series and like why it got more popular with reruns is like that the series. He's just specifically referring to like um, the kind of like the the shifting tone almost. He said there's a duality to it. And like you can really feel it in the episode eight and this episode. Because like, you know, episode eight was a a straight up, you know, funny, lupine caper, nothing dramatic, nothing serious. It's pretty much all humor all the way out. This one's like kind of deep characterization there's some there's some like crime noir elements has kind of yes. a tragic ending but it's still just and, as good right and like i feel like uh we have once again of course i would say this the uh, source material i think is you know a big part of that because monkey punch they monkey punch they able to shift gears between you know comical and dramatic you know on a dime it's mm-hmm. which you know like uh, going back to, uh, you know, the chapter this episode based on it, it's got a few, you know, pretty funny moments. I think, like with Cap shooting at Jigen, or, or in the English version, uh, Poon's uh, odd v- way of speaking. But it's still a you know, pretty serious story overall. It's really with this episode, all 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 we've got left is episode twelve, which is the last one that has a lot of. Um, Osumi's, you know, work left in it. So this is kind of, kind of a crossroad point 
for the show moving forward because after this we don't really have another one like this aside from 12 because from this moment onward it's going to become more just straightforward capers which nothing wrong with that at all no. i'm just i'm i'm going to i'm going to miss osumi and his and his and his his abrupt music cuts <laughs> and endings where you're like <laughs> and people being on fire me too there's a bit less of that coming up oh the yeah. arson Gonna miss the arson. Gonna miss some uh, unexpected, not graphic, but unexpected, like harsh violence. Right. It's gonna be a, a thing we don't have anymore. Uh, Fujiko's long, beautiful locks. We should probably enjoy those while they're still there. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, 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 I'm not a huge fan of uh, Fujiko with the bob cut in the series. I know. She, I know. I know she's got her fans, but. They also kind of change her character design too, and it's not like he's like, oh, she's not hot anymore. It's more like she doesn't look like Fujiko. You just shifted the character entirely. Well, yeah, it's like you know, she's still attractive. It's just yeah, you know, she's like you know less dangerous and sexy and more modest and cute. But we'll we'll probably talk more about that, and hopefully sound less like Neckbeards when we do in a later episode. <laughs> exactly. Again, she, she's still Fujiko. She's great through and through. I just miss the hair. Yeah. The hair is cool, damn it. Oh, it's beautiful. And I'm speaking as as someone who has the longest hair of the three of us. I know what I'm talking about here. Exactly. Long hair looks great. <laughs> but no, we'll, we'll save the final goodbye for episode 12, but but I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss these these weird, occasionally baffling adventures <laughs> with, 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 with Masaki Osumi. I'm going to miss the... Uh, you know the the witches question mark and you know the, <laughs> question the dickheads. Mark? Yeah, I mean, like to be fair, the show had a really rocky start. It was, it, it was did. really you know it was inconsistent in quality. It was, but I can appreciate what Osumi was going for. Exactly. Like when it's good, it was great. Yeah, I'm thinking you know, one chance for a prison break, the Goemon mm-hmm. two partner. I mean, hell, I, I still really love Rainy Afternoons Are Dangerous. I, yeah. You know, like, when it was on, it was it was great, but when it wasn't working, it did not work at all. Nope, agreed. Like, you can't deny the fact that the first episode is, at least for us, a little it's wonky. More, episode threes. It's mm. more like, the first episode is more, is Lupin crashing and burning? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's, what I'll miss, because like I, you're right, like the episodes like were never always perfect. Because but when they were on, they were on, and but when they weren't, is and, and they weren't. <laughs> they really weren't. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm gonna miss. I'm, I'm gonna miss the weird chances and like the the. Uh, I said I'm gonna miss it. This crew who was responsible for like the pilot film and some of the early movies, they're coming back for Mamo, and it's noticeable. Oh yeah, because they're like, yeah, did you miss us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait for it. It's going great. <laughs> so I'm acting like, oh, what was me? They're all gone. Even Masaki Osumi comes back and brings his signature kind of hard-boiled edge to it. Yeah, and honestly, with a lot more refined directing too. Yeah, I feel like that's I way. Like that's, yeah, I feel like with that special, you know, he wasn't as he wasn't being held back by as much as he was, you know, for these episodes like broadcast standards and practices or budget or running time. You know, that's. Got to stretch him out. Got to stretch himself out a little bit more, you know. 
Yeah. Honestly, you know, he's 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 still alive and kicking. Come on, come on, come on. Let's get Masaki Osumi. Let's let's let him do one more TV special. One more movie. One come last on, job. But not but not the last job. No, no. It would be cool if at some point and it, like I don't know if they would Asking Masaki Osumi to come back to direct all these would be a bit a bit a bit much of an ask. But when they when they uh, got the order for twenty three episodes, it was originally going to be twenty six, but they decided to cut down to twenty three. Um, Twelve of the episodes were properly made. Uh, the screenplays from episode thirteen onward um, uh, were significantly changed, but there were thirteen episodes. Full scripts that were not used from previous writers of the episodes in the series and like other writers. And those were titled um, The Death Battle Ended at Dawn, okay, K Machine Robbery Secret Strategy, The Hidden Treasure Sleep 700 Nautical Miles, which was eventually adapted in episode, uh, <clears throat> it was eventually adapted in episode 97 of part two. Um, uh, that one was called The Search for Lupin the First Hidden Treasure. I'm, uh, I'm curious about the uh, the translation of this one, but it was called It's Time for a Thug, which was animated. <laughs> Apparently this one was animated as episode 20 of part two, which was uh, Hell to Pay. <laughs> I love that one no so kidding. much. Oh, wow. That would have been something to see in part one. Holy crap. I, I know, know that. I, that. That is such a tonal shift from what part one was doing. <laughs> That was, I mean, that would, that would have been wild to see in you know the style of episodes like this. Man. I know it's so fascinating to think about. And then there was um, uh, the Terminal Station of the Beasts, Lupin's Very Strange Day, the funeral song is for him. Um, this one, um, it didn't quite translate it. It was a uh, Dengeki Hadpopo Operation. Uh, which was animated as episode 29 of part two. What is episode 29 of part two? Uh, Fry Me to the Moon. Oh, yep, yeah, that's it. That's a good one. That's based on so, a manga story. So th- that was a, uh, th- that was one they were going to adapt. That was there. And uh, there was one called Lupin's Law. This one, uh, Secret Arrow Capture Operation. The Dreaded Rat Clan. What? Yep. That was that was one of the episodes scripted. This one, I think, uh, uh. title undecided. I don't think title undecided was the actual title. <laughs> we could have got the Rat Clan in part one. Man, that would have been awesome. And and, and man, that, is that hurts. That you th- yeah, it hit. I was going to say, Drew, you just ruined my whole day. Thanks. Yeah, no, <laughs> this hurts. I love the Rat Clan. Also, really hurts is that um. Uh, he, uh, he was the writer of a few of them. I didn't name like who wrote each one. I didn't name who wrote each one. But um, Toru Sawaki, who wrote this episode and One Chance for a Prison Break, he was going to write um, uh, the Terminal Station of the Beasts, and he was also go- he also wrote the last two episodes of Part One. Well, what was going to be? They were called Return to Lupin's Hometown and Brilliant Target. Hmm. And now apparently, um, two of these screenplays were um, uh, adapted in the manga Lupin the Third H. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm reading about that. But yeah, what Man, could have been? We could have got the Rat Clan before Part 5. And that would, those, and the, fact that the, the fact that those scripts were written and two of them were made into relatively recent manga chapters, I wonder where they are. 
Because mm. I imagine getting a hold of those and translating them. Man. It, it's a pipe dream, but it's also like not impossible because there was no story about like, you know, the scripts were tragically destroyed in a fire. <laughs> right. Don't you have an unproduced script for part two, Jay? Do? Oh, yes, I do. For three episodes, no less. Yeah, see? Nice. So it may not be impossible. Or wait, one of them is either one of them is an unproduced episode, and two of them are current or existing episodes. I don't remember, but I do have uh, at least one. Right. I wonder if my reaction to this Rat Clan episode is how fans of Pike Hell found out, or or were when they heard about that part two episode Pike Hell was going to show up in. Oh. <laughs> I'm having for the best. Oh, I don't know. I probably, it. It, it probably would have been better than his actual return. Yeah. Now available from Discotech. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Dr. Furball, D-R-F-U-R-B-A-L-L. You can find me on most other things as Amazing Chris Godby. That's G-O-D-B-E-Y. And I also run a webcomic called Weird in a Can at weirdinacan.thecomicseries.com. Highly recommend, by the way. Oh, thanks. Indeed. Rec- You're welcome. I recommend it too. Please, I need. I bet. Please, I need the views. <laughs> you people better give him the views. We'll find you. Give him the views. <laughs> we'll find you and then come to your house with a laptop in hand with the first chapter open and we're just going to throw the laptop at you. <laughs> so, Jay, where can we find you at? So, yes. Oh, right. We were doing that, won't uh, weren't we? <laughs> come on, don't come on, don't have me do it by myself. Uh, okay. Um, all right, you can find me at Lupon L O O P A W N on Twitter, and you can find me on Instagram at Lupon Sanse L U P I N dot S A N S E I. In other places, I'm sure you'll find me on your own. Anyways, next! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter at DrewHunter15. I just tweet about things from time to time. Okay, yeah. okay but what, you- if we haven't, what if we haven't seen the first 14 Drew Hunters? Can we still follow along? I'm <laughs> <laughs> ah, sorry, the first 14 were out of print, sadly. Okay. Rest in peace. Rest in but the fifteenth one, the fifteenth one is is a <laughs> the fifteenth one is a soft reboot, so you don't have to worry about it. Okay, cool. Uh, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Lupon Pod. You can also find us on Instagram at Lupon Pod. You can also find our show on uh, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. All right, and so next time we are getting to, uh, as as Chris called it, the uh, the practice of Cagliostro, which I'm which excited I'm, uh, for. I am too because I have watched that one again. I've watched most of part one in a long time, and I saw the uh, next episode preview, and I remember that there is a villain. Even though I don't think this is uh, Chris will know for sure. I don't think this is a Monkey Punch adaptation, but one of the villains in this looks 
like he was plucked, like ripped straight out of a monkey punch panel. The uh, the I, guy with the blonde hair and the the pink jacket. Yeah, I don't think yes. I don't think he's based on anyone in particular, but he he looks like he could have been a monkey punch design. Yeah. So we got we got counterfeit bills, a uh, a big clock, and a bunch of gears. So and a sounds, green jacket. And a green jacket, indeed. And okay. And Europe. And a plane. This is true. So, not to get off topic. Too late. In fact, it's not even off topic. It's backtracking once again <laughs> to what the the episode we just reviewed. I am on the Crunchyroll uh, website. Well, uh, for and I'm in the comments section, and I really just got to read this comment out loud. It says it's from five years ago. It says I really wanted some fan art of the assassin from this episode but every time i search for anime poon i get weird pictures of ladies that aren't even from Lupin. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, incognito tab real quick oh my god oh no i'm kidding <laughs> also i really need to just bitch for a minute here Someone in the comments giving some Fujiko hate. Come fight me. I f- fucking love Fujiko. Anyways, oh, yeah, this person yeah. says, not going to lie. Not going to lie. I'm go- I'm finding Fujiko more and more unlikable. She's basically a female clone of Lupin himself, from personality to hobbies. But she's more formulaic and predictable. She's a bad friend, a bad ally, and a flat character. Like, of all the ad- that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> I appreciate that reference. You know, of all the adjectives I would use to describe Fujiko, flat is not one of them. Correct. <laughs> okay. I should respond to that. Okay, I. That's probably my last uh, lecherous joke of the night. Yeah, the, 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 this this is how we're signing off tonight. If if the, this has been a thing going on, if you if if, if you disrespect Fujiko, if you like give some hate. If you hate Fujiko, you suck. Good night. You do. <laughs> Toodles. Bye. Later. Bye. <laughs>